Welcome to Coffee Hour with Reverend Andrew Conley Holcomb and Reverend Alyssa DeWolf. Project of the heart uh, that we sort of do as we feel <laughs> right. more than cons- do in a consistent manner. So uh, we appreciate all those who continue to listen to us, uh, not necessarily knowing when our next episode is going <laughs> to drop. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for your loyalty and your interest in uh, progressive Christianity. I'm the Reverend Alyssa Wolf, and I'm joined by my awesome colleague, the Reverend Andrew Conley Holcomb. What, what? So today we wanted to talk about what I like to call the tale of two pros. And this is being spurred on by the recent death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the potential appointment of um, Amy Barrett. Yes. (laughs) Look at me knowing her name (laughs) so well. Um, which has also spurred on this conversation about uh, Roe versus Wade, about pro-choice, about pro-life, and especially about what that means in a religious context. And so I think as progressive Christians, I mean, this is something that is in a way maybe taken for granted or maybe not wrestled with as much as our counterpoints might be wrestling and arguing and vocalizing about. Um, the yeah, it's, it's funny. We actually skip over this a lot. You know, we're down to talk about queer inclusion. We're starting to become more willing to talk about uh, race issues. Um, and we're, we're also starting to become more comfortable talking about class issues. But it seems like we really skip talking about... Uh, reproductive rights we kind of like assume that we've all we're all of a, of one mind about this yeah and we don't tend to reflect on it theologically I see I see us reflect on it more kind of socially or kind of out of our our social justice lens but I don't see us actually bringing our progressive Christianity to bear on our conversation I also think uh, being a part of the United Church of Christ, we can kind of let the owl folks, the yes, our whole lives yes, folks deal true. with, you know, comprehensive sex education and all the sex talks for church. But I mean, like even growing up uh, in the Pentecostal church, like we had like sex and procreation preached to us at the pulpit and thinking for myself about preaching about that at the pulpit. I'm like, uh, no. Right. <laughs> Right, right. No, thanks. (laughs) Well, and part of that, too, is that we don't assume a monolithic understanding. Like, we assume that there's a diversity of opinions, a diversity of abilities. Like, I don't even comment on whether whether people are going to have kids or have another kid because I'm aware that, like, I have no idea what their circumstances are and what... 
Have they been trying for five years already? I'm about to trigger some massive trauma in them. Yeah. Did, you know, did the, the woman who was bearing the children have a hysterectomy after her last pregnancy because of complications? Is she afraid that there's other complications that could arise or their genetic? I mean, there's just so much. I feel like we try to think holistically about people. And so it ends up making it harder for us to have these sensitive conversations because we are aware of all of the dynamics and possibilities. At least we're trying to be aware of more of the dynamics and possibilities. And I would definitely like say that if uh, talking about pregnancy, getting pregnant, talking about uh, abortion, talking about women's reproductive rights is something that is triggering to you or is not a conversation that you want to hear or have that you should turn this episode off now Absolutely. and go listen to something some other episodes <laughs> from us <laughs> um so yeah i think it's good just to kind of like lay on the table i mean i consider myself a pro-choice person myself as well and i feel very comfortable in that understanding of myself to the point where i'm almost hesitant to participate in this episode in some ways because I don't want it to feel like self-congratulatory or like that it just helps us feel good about the position we already have relatively unexamined. I really do want, I want progressive Christianity to be an active member of the conversation, not just a finger pointer that says, oh, you hate women, but like actually able to articulate through the lens of Christ, through the lens of redemption and um and resurrection why we should be participating in this conversation instead of just ceding the religious points to the conservative zealots and saying well but we love women i also think like we do a disservice to not enter into this conversation to um, complexify and nuance and deepen this conversation because when it sits on the surface of just abortion or no abortion that's it that's all we're talking about is we're not actually talking about like the lives that this is affecting and even when we use the monolith of women we are not necessarily talking about the individual experiences even the collective experiences of women who who are living out what it means to have um a government decide what you can and cannot do with your body right um so i I personally don't really want to argue the fact of like, when does life begin or like when does, but I think I I do want to argue about, you know, God and specifically Jesus' call to like love our neighbor, to love the least of these. And like, what does that really look like as Christians? And if we are going to be Christians who are teaching and preaching in the name of God, this anti-abortion rhetoric um, then what are you doing about these other ways of uplifting and taking care of the least of these and loving our neighbor? Like, if that is so vital to you, like, what is, how does that practically live out then when we get beyond the um, pregnancy and get into living life with one another, whether it's from, from infanthood to elderliness? Right, right. <laughs> The pushback that I've encountered when I've had conversations with those folks like outside of a Planned Parenthood, for example, and I've brought up that issue, is they've said, yeah, 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 somebody else does that work. My job, my call is to do this work of actively protesting the termination of pregnancies. Like, yes, there needs to be those other systems and they do need to exist. But I've what I've noticed is that there's a, a lot of comfort in car- compartmentalizing the work. 
and saying, that's somebody else's job to do. My job to do is to do this particular piece. And I can't say that I blame conservatives for compartmentalizing the work because we compartmentalize the work all the time. We have to decide what, what part of the work are we going to do and what part are we not. The part that bothers me is, is more that it's not premised on this universal ethic, right? So like if we're worshipers of the God we say we're a worshiper of, then all of our behavior and actions should be in alignment with the will of God, or at least seeking to be. And so there shouldn't be like this one thing that we do over here that brings a different ethic than what we do everywhere else. And that's the part that really frustrates me. I want to read this quote. It's from an article that was in the New Republic in May 17th of 2019, written by Lori Penny. Uh, and it, there's just this quote in here that I found really crystallized as well. The question of whether a fetus is a person is conveniently unanswerable. The question of whether a woman is a person, however, is not up for debate. And it is female personhood, not fetal personhood, that should decide the issue of basic bodily autonomy. And she goes on to talk more about this and uh, really center this idea that a lot of this anti-abortion debate is really about centering male power. But I think there's something really critical about if you're going to approach abortion and with a lens of compassion, is your compassion limited to only one character in one moment in that whole conversation or not? And that's what I notice sometimes in this in this debate is it's like, yes, compassion, but in this very narrow and particular way. Well, and also it's it's predicated on a black or white choice. So it doesn't look at uh, any of the factors leading to one's choice or any of the um, consequences of one's choice. Um, and like, I think to myself, you know, it really wasn't until I myself got pregnant and had my son that like um, the argument over for, uh, third term abortion became such like a hot topic for me because I had a very difficult pregnancy and so it wasn't always guaranteed that like my son would be born to term um, that almost everyone who is having a third trimester um, abortion what would be classified in medical terms as an abortion is doing so because the fetus or the mother would not survive right. so we're not talking about as the sort of mythology that is displayed and is you know reiterated within um the conservative mantras is we're not talking about women who just decide in their third trimester i don't want to have this baby most of the women like almost all of the women who are going through a third trimester dnc are doing so because it is the last possible thing that they can do no one i would but I could imagine no one is sitting there in the hospital room before their procedure going, this is something that I would love to happen. That this is something that I, I choose even to happen. That's usually, this is the worst moment of my life. Right. Um, and, and then to be vilified for that. Right. Um, to be, to make, and not just vilified, but to make it extremely impossible for someone to get the medical care that they need to, um, safely and to in a dignified way go through that process um i mean women have to sometimes cross state lines in order to get the 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 right medical care that they need again in the worst possible moment right. of their life right. like all you should be dealing with at that moment 
is the sorrow and the grief that you need to go through. Right. Um, and so it just kind of completely denies this greater conversation. Like you said, you know, it's not about whether a, a fetus is a human being, but whether a woman is a human being and whether she matters and whether her experience of life matters. Right. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's saying, no, you don't matter. One, I think I've heard an argument before that also connected to the idea of, um, like, organ donors, right? That, like, if an organ could save somebody's life, um, and but you had to limit the life of the person in whom the organ is currently, that would be obviously wrong, right? Like, we would obviously say, obviously, just because you have a viable kidney and this other person needs it doesn't mean I can commandeer your body to take that kidney out of you to save this other person's life. It, that whole idea of bodily autonomy, I feel like, is is a critical one that I have not heard really thoughtful uh, responses to. It ends up like it being part of this kind of shame and blame of whoever that person is. They're like, well, they don't deserve bodily autonomy, right? Which is so anti-incarnational in, in the Christian faith that we honor bodies, like bodies matter. They're critical to our existence, mm-hmm. right? There is no soul without the body. Um, and so to be able to violate someone's bodily autonomy to give another body something without consent, just that feels like um, harming the image of God in my mind because it creates a, a domination system with that other person's body. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it, and this is where it gets hard too is I feel like it's so easy to make, from the left, I feel like it's easy to make a lot of these arguments um, from just like a basic rights perspective. Mm-hmm. I think one of the bigger challenges is making the theological argument. And one of the things we were talking about before is like, if we really value life, right, then we need to value life in its totality, not just in this individual moment of time. Um, you know, like how does our conversation about pro-life or pro-choice engage the incredible uh, maternal health disparities uh, for black women and women of color in this country. It doesn't. Well, why doesn't it? Yeah. Right? If that's really what we're talking about is the health of babies and, and mothers and families, then how is that somehow conveniently not part of the conversation? How is universal health care like conveniently not part of the conversation? Well, and the links in which people go to kind of separate these ideologies is they cannot be separate. Like if we are going to care so much for the life of, you know, the fetus or the, and the, and hopefully the life of the, the woman, um, we have to care about the, the healthcare that she is access to. We have to care about the homes and the environments in which they are in while they are pregnant and which they are also going to go into after pregnancy. Um, We have to have an incredible awareness of like the foster care system and adoption. And like there are too many kids in the foster care system and our foster care system is so royally messed up. Um, I I don't think there's a necessarily a good example of foster care system um, in our country, but, but we're doing a disservice to to these children, and especially if a child gets to the age of around six or seven, their likelihood of being adopted drops dramatically. And so then we are having these children raised in either 
multiple foster homes or raised in group homes right. who then we put out into the world and their rate of, of having children at a young age and having those children also go into the foster care system and the rate of homelessness and the rate of um, dropout rate in, in education and all of these factors that were that happened to these folks um, because of whatever situation put them into the foster care system in the beginning. And so it's like, if we're not like, we should be putting as much energy into that as we as people are putting into you know these anti-abortion uh, yeah things. One well, and it and again I feel like why does it always come back to economics? But it always does. Like that's expensive. Overhauling the foster care system and like adding caseworkers and adding you know uh folks that do on-site support and connect with families and do supervision and the counseling that folks and kids need like all that stuff's expensive and it's a lot cheaper to just pass laws that say this is illegal and we'll put you in jail if you do it than it is to actually care for people well and two if you're going to start to tackle the foster care system then you're going to have to start to tackle the prison industrial complex and you're going to have to tackle the educational system and you're going to have to tackle the opioid crisis and you know because all of these things affect each other and that that idea too that we can be so black and white um it's just life never never operates in a a bilinear way it never operates in in a black and white form like it's so gray (laughs) And, and it's gray, not because there isn't anything absolute that we can stand on, but because we are so in, interconnected as a people that our colors and our life, it, it bleeds into the lives of those around us. Well, and we've inherited all of these systems that were formed by patriarchy and white supremacy. Yes. Like, I mean, it's, it's not like the foster care system was like a a perfect thing that was created. It was created out of a paternalistic relationship with families, right? Like kids used to get taken out of their families because of all kinds of arbitrary reasons. And like, yes, there have been systemic improvements and yes, we've been trying to engage and yes, we've been trying to keep kids in their families. Um, but it, it's not like these institutions are, are pure and uh, I mean, we haven't taken responsibility. And so I think your point about like these interconnected systems just points to the ways that I feel like we haven't really been taking responsibility for our society yeah. writ large in these various and sundry places. And so it's like, well, yeah, if we want to tackle this one, we got to tackle five other ones. And so that ends up being an excuse for doing nothing or just passing a law instead of actually kind of rethinking our, the social service paradigm in general, the, you know, the healthcare paradigm in general. Yeah. So I participated in uh, this conference um, this past week um, the Leadership Institute as part of the Church of the Resurrection mm-hmm. and Bishop Michael Curry was one of the speakers and I wish people could get a hold of his talk in general because it was just amazing but one of the things he talked about when he was talking about his research into um, slavery and people's religious uh, apologetics for it either on the pro side or on the um, anti side of slavery and he said the one thing that I found in looking at all of the documentation that was coming out of the pro-slavery Christian narrative was they very rarely quoted Jesus. And the people who were the abolitionists and who were very anti-slavery, it was like, Jesus, 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 24-7. And even like if you look up 
scripture of like, what did Jesus say about, you know, the sanctity of life or about abortion? Jesus says nothing. What Jesus does say is, you know, feed the poor and love your neighbor. And the, the least of these are the greatest of these. And, you know, I said, don't murder, but I even am saying, don't, you know, judge each other. Don't even think poorly about each other. And like the life that Jesus calls us into is one that is a radical life that, that, that can't fall neatly on these like yes or no sides. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a life that says you must look at the people around you. You must look at your community and recognize that not only are you responsible for each other, but that you are interconnected in ways that you must look out for each other. Right. And so you can't limit yourself. Like, yes, we cannot do everything. You know, when you were saying that narrative of, of people saying, well, at least this is the thing that I can do. Like, yes, it's, it's, it's much more practical and realistic to find like the one thing that you're good at that you can contribute. But we still should do so in a way that acknowledges that what we are choosing to put our money towards, to put our time towards, to put our passion towards is interconnected with other things. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, like the, the the old imagery of like, when I press this button, it's going to set off all these other things right. over here. Like it's not independent of itself. Like right. you are part of a greater network, a greater narrative. Um, and we really, if we do not have love and love of our neighbor and our neighbor being the focal point, not us, right. um, we've missed the point. Well, I like that idea of like, even if you're doing something particular, right, and discreet and separate and like focused, that it still needs to be very clearly part of this greater wholeness that we're working towards. And I feel like that's where I I feel like the pro-life movement falls apart for me is that it seems like it stays extremely narrow. It doesn't seem like it's part of this, I mean, if they want to, if, if the folks in the pro-life movement really want to argue that they're following Christ, then what they're doing should neatly fit into their vision of the kingdom of God. And I can't imagine a vision of the kingdom of God that doesn't have bodily integrity for all people, that doesn't have um, health care accessible for all people, that doesn't have um, these kind of interconnected systems of, of wellness for all people and and I feel like that I don't get that from the from the pro-life movement I feel like the pro-choice movement often focuses antagonistically on the enemy rather than doing this work either and this is where I feel like the church is a necessary participant especially the progressive church is a necessary participant in this conversation because we are so well equipped to articulate how a pro-choice perspective fits into this mm-hmm. greater web of bodily autonomy and care for our communities and empowerment of people and their own personal relationship with God and taking down dominance hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Like we have the ability to articulate the interconnectedness of these things. And so it's, I just find it disappointing that we don't tend to take a stand on this stuff. Yeah. I I saw a chart uh, recently that, you know, had on one side, like the, Pro cheap, pro choice people are pro blank, uh, you know, pro life people are pro blank, and it was like pro life people are pro, you know, fetuses be being born, like they're just pro life babies, and it was like pro choice people are 
pro-choice the environment. They're pro, uh, they're against the death penalty. They're, they're pro-healthcare. They're pro, you know, they're pro, 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 because again, I think there's a misconception too when people say I'm pro-choice that I am like pro-killing babies. Um, you know, like it, it becomes so like, again, whittled down to this tiny, tiny issue and moment. Um, whereas it's saying like being pro-choice is that I want people to have the choice. I'm not advocating necessarily for like everyone who can get an abortion, like go get an abortion, like hurrah. Uh, uh, but I definitely want people who who need and um, want that choice to be able to make that choice okay. and to be able to make it with all the necessary information that they need to make that choice. Right. Um, not to put limits on them, which the conservatives will will do that you have to like take a class or you have so many days that you have to right. you know have between the moment that you decide you want to have an abortion not to, to prevent women or make it harder for them to make that choice. But but to be able, like, where else in society do we make it, or, or do we say that, like, I do not think that you can make the right choices for your life, therefore I have to make them for you. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> more often than we would hope. Yeah. Right? We take people's rights away all the time. Well, and, and to your point about more education, right? Like one of the other things I don't see folks who are supporting, restricting access to abortion talking about is comprehensive sex education. Yeah. Like, you know what's the best thing to reduce teenage pregnancy? Comprehensive sex education. Can we talk about how giving people information about their bodies, how their bodies actually work, how relationships work? helping them get in contact with their own innate sexuality talk about incarnational reality right like helping people connect with and better understand themselves their bodies their sexuality is a part of making sure that every uh pregnancy is a planned pregnancy but this is where to uh the pro-life becomes really pro-patriarchy because it is so predicated on this idea that women are less than men and yeah. are also even within the narrative of God and the scriptures are are subjugated beings right. um, and that their bodies even unto themselves are um, able to make men sin um, that our bodies are hmm. sinful in just the nature of being feminine right. um, Glennon Doyle she talks about uh, her first ever like Sunday school story growing up and her first ever Sunday school story was learning about Adam and Eve right. and how even as like a child learning this narrative about, you know, the woman made the man sin and like, and then they were naked and all sin, you know, comes from women. Like these are the things that are being taught. I was taught, you know, from a very early age in the, right. in the church that I grew up in that, you know, even if it's not said directly, but like how else are you supposed to interpret that? as a woman and you know and then you get it in the subtle ways of like oh you know girls make sure that you're dressing modestly make sure that like you're not causing your your brothers in christ to sin and i'm like well why can't my brothers in christ keep it in their pants you know um like they deal with your own <laughs> your own reactions your own hormones like it's not right. my responsibility to make sure that like you can handle yourself like handle yourself well and if we want <laughs> if we want to lean on that like jesus says as much you've heard it said that uh it is a, thou shalt not commit adultery but i say unto you if you look at a woman with lust in your heart right 
Jesus already even set this up that there's an expectation that you have self-control. Yeah. Right? And so it's funny that Christians still, some Christians still articulate this idea of like not having control and being totally at the whim and will of their body when it's like, I mean, you, you have to just ignore parts of Jesus to get to that place. Right? Well, and it's a really weird interpretation of like what is sin and how sin operates too because right. in that case we're sort of like victims. Right. You know, that like sin is everywhere and like if, if you know, if we don't like protect ourselves and put ourselves in our little like holy bunker, then like just by stepping outside with or without our intentions or our choices, like we are going to be attacked by sin and forced to do bad things well but even that is just like let's go really base theology here like even that is a really ridiculous interpretation of sin in and of itself right sin means literally to miss the mark right and and you have to miss the mark in order to course correct like sin is a natural result of existing and the goal is not to not sin the goal is to learn from your sin the goal is repentance yes exactly about you know the turning in a new way exactly and so like it it just seems so insane to me that there's such a moralistic lens on christianity when christianity is designed to be intentionally anti-moralistic anti-right and wrong it's designed to encourage you constantly to be pulled into the gravity of god and like a moralism that says this is right and this is wrong invites judgment and the scriptures are crystal clear guess who gets to judge god God. guess who doesn't get to judge you so shut up but you know we skip over some of this stuff because we get to claim the the status of god and so often scripture gets used Mm. as like well now i get to speak for god because let me read this vague uh, piece of scripture and then tell you exactly what it what it means well, and couldn't we argue, I think, as the progressive church, that idea of claiming the status of God is really in pro-life rhetoric. Aren't you claiming the status of God? Aren't you claiming creation itself, saying, I know when creation happens. I know what God's purpose is for creation and for life. Therefore, I must be the one who chooses what can and cannot be done. Versus this idea of like, I cannot claim the status of God. Like I claim God's love for me, but like I am a broken, fallible being. And like, it is my, it is my goal to make right choices, but knowing that I will make wrong choices, but that I am not condemned for those wrong choices, but have grace and have forgiveness and have repentance available right. to me, not once, not twice, but eternally right. for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a humbling that needs to happen. And I just don't see it there. Like, so many idols have been made from these ideologies like uh, pro-life, like, you know, the the anti-homosexual rhetoric we hear in the conservative church, like... Like all of these, even even uplifting scripture in such a way that the um, infallibility of scripture, the idea of scripture being, you know, absolute and infallible is idolizing scripture in itself. It is scripture is not God. It is what leads us to a better understanding of who God is. But God is God. And the idea that we could 
capture the essence and the totality of God into a written language is absurd to me. Especially when we're not even reading it in the original language. Yeah. This this conversation is moving a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe, maybe it's not, though. Maybe ultimately what we're really talking about is that claiming of moral authority. Yeah. And that maybe... Maybe that's ultimately the real issue. Like when I think back to this this quote from Penny about bodily autonomy, I really think like, yeah, right? Like what's what's at stake here? It's the equality of all people under God. And that that's really what our faith articulates is that there was a Christ and that happened and it ain't you. And the next time it happens, all of this is over. So in the meantime, we're all equals here under one God and one Christ, one Lord, one salvation, right? And so I think it, it, anytime we create a dominance hierarchy, we are inherently acting against the will of God, right? Like if we ever have to make choices for mm-hmm. people, it's because we are caring for them. And, you know, and I think this gets tricky too, because there are some times where we do have to limit people's autonomy because they're harming other people. But I think... You know, this is a this isn't a per, a, a a perfect analogy to that, mm-hmm. right? When somebody's going out and you know carrying a baseball bat to a Black Lives Matter rally, that's not the same. That's not the same kind of threat. It's not the same kind of event as a woman who is contemplating whether and how she can live a life with this um, this child that she's carrying or not. You know, for whatever mm-hmm. variety of reasons. Which some people on the far right would argue that it is. It's exactly the, the they'd same. They'd argue thing. it's exactly the same. <laughs> and I feel uh, like the it, the intent part is the part that's really, I don't know. I I think too it's this it's it's kind of what we're pointing to though of this like uh, ability for people to so pick and choose what is convenient for them, um, and the fact that like many of the people, especially politicians, um, and you know federal politicians like, who are promoting so much of this, like, pro-life narrative are also very, like, anti-maternity leave and, like, federally sanctioned maternity leave. It's, like, every country in our world who has, like, good maternity leave plans have seen, like, the vast benefits of, like, giving people the ability to, like, be with their new babies and their new children and that, like... It does not hurt the economy or hurt society, that it helps. And not just that, but you have better citizens because you have better care and um, you equip new parents better. And and it's just, it's, it's so just this like hodgepodge of righteousness when like we are not called to, A, pick and choose what, what is just convenient for us, but that like, it disregards again the interconnectedness of all. Yeah. It disregards how how God's love penetrates all boundaries and it infiltrates all parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And that we are called to receive that. We are not called to like demand it and to uh, craft it to fit our needs and will. But sure. that it is something that we embrace. It's something that we 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 choose to go on this journey. And I mean. <laughs> salvation in itself like if you are gonna is a pro-choice move movement like you know even in conservative theology the idea that you have to say yes to god 
in order to receive salvation. And again, and, and I mean this in the sense of how cons- the conservative theology thinks of like um, salvation. Like how, I mean, that alone is like written into the fabric and the foundation of Christianity right. is this I- idea that you cannot force the spirit of God onto people, that you cannot force you know, God's goodness even and God's love onto people. So why are we forcing these other things onto people in the name of God? If you took out the name of God, if you did this strictly from like your own secular, economic, whatever, political point of view, I think we would have a different discussion right now. But the fact that you're doing it in the name of God, we have a problem. Well, right. And that's the, that's the shroud of, um, the shroud of respectability is that it's in the name of God. Like, where's the where's the pro-life movement that doesn't invoke the name of God, that yep. invokes literally anything else? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're going to get a lot of hate mail at, at this point because we're going to encounter some pro-life folks who have lots of stats and figures that we don't have about this. Um, so, you know, bring it on. I'm down to actually have a conversation about this. I just, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that there's a... There's a using God as a shield for beliefs that ultimately reinforce patriarchy and male domination and and female subordination in particular is really what I mean. I don't just mean male domination. I mean subordinating female bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you, you made a point a minute ago that I think is important too, which is we often encounter this as a downstream moment. But in fact, we're really talking about big upstream issues because a lot of the the social ills that we talked about, that if you're going to address this, you have to address this and this and this. Well, they are addressed by people uh, being able to be more intentional about the families that they have because it puts different stress loads on foster care systems, on mental health care systems, on school systems and communities. Um, and so I... I think you're right, like your whole argument that it's it's all of a piece and it's all interconnected is such an essential remembrance um, that it's just, we the conversation needs to be nuanced. Mm-hmm. And I think the progressive church, the progressive church could learn a thing or two about how to come out as pro-choice and. How do we come out as pro-choice and pro uh, m- fixing the maternal health gap how do we come out as pro-choice and fixing the foster care system and use our pro-choice convictions to motivate us to work on those other things i think that's the thing is it sometimes feels really easy to be like i'm pro-choice and now all i have to do is fight this supreme court nomination or i'm pro-choice so all i have to do is make fun of these 25 white men who decided what women get to do with their bodies in kentucky but it's like no, if I'm pro-choice, then I also need to be working for all of these other things that are interconnected and interrelated to this. And I feel like that's, if since I'm in the progressive church, I think I need to concentrate on my critique of the progressive church and how we can more fully live into our values. And that's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is why don't we talk about this? I feel like in part it's because there's a lot of work to do once we start talking I, about I it. I was going to say, like, we, we, I think, need to give sort of even this conversation like the benefit of the doubt too is of like we have all these shoulds but it's like what's the practical nature like of how this is lived out right like as progressives who are looking at like the wider picture who are saying that like all of these things are affected and who acknowledge the fact that like we have daily lives and we work and we take care of our families and we you know have to pay our bills and 
you know, deal with the weather or whatever, like, how do we also incorporate these things into our daily lives where we are not, uh, what am I trying to say? Where we're not, one, stretching ourselves so thin that we're getting nothing done, um, and we might be even doing more harm than good, or that we fixate on one issue over all other issues and then turn that issue in sort of into the issue. Right. Um, how do we do that? How do we be pro-choice as the progressive church? Well, I think this idea of bodily autonomy is really sticking with me a lot. I'm thinking about the movement for black lives and the ways that that movement in many ways is about bodily autonomy, right? It's about systems of domination and subordination that that land squarely upon the body, to borrow uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates's, um, uh, poetic writing in Between the World and Me. I mean, he talks very much about how all of these systems and structures and values and beliefs and whatever, they land with bone-crushing force upon the body of, of black folks. And so I think there's something in there that we could be articulating across all of our work, across all of our movements for building the kingdom that brings the pro-choice conversation into them without necessarily centering it, but centering the value of the body, that centering incarnationalism. I think that there's some, there's some ways that we could start doing this collectively or, or having so much overlap that we're, we're always talking about everything. Yeah, I just think, like, giving people the, like, practical means, too, of, like, what this looks like, like, how this can play out. Like, I, I think, you know, another word for incarnation may be intention, like, being a people who are intentional about even the smallest things that we're doing, like, you know, what we're buying, what we're, um, what, how we're choosing to spend our time and our resources, mm-hmm. you know, even what, like, entertainment we're consuming, like, mm-hmm. all of these things are interconnected, and so being really intentional and, and, and being willing to ask the big questions and being willing to, um, to learn, um, to see things in other ways. Um, like how, like, obviously we can't all solve all of the world's problems. So I think too, (laughs) like as the church, it's, it's really important to, um, and I convict myself of this, like I need to be better of this as a pastor and as a church leader to like reach out to your church organization, your, uh, not your church, your, city leaders and your um you know look up the nonprofits in your city like reach out to your school pre- principals and your um mm-hmm. you know do you have a school close to your church do you have you know businesses close to your church like do you live in a neighborhood that is you know very affluent or has apartment buildings or like like what is in your context right now that sure. you need to know more about and that yeah. you need to make better connections with. Yeah. And like, are you actively seeking how to be incarnational in your community that you are placed in now? You don't have to go anywhere. Right. You know, this work can happen, not just even in our communities, but like, what are you, what are you teaching and doing in like your households? Right. Like, you know, for, for me, it's, it's very important that my kiddo, like, watches cartoons that are diverse right and and i i am i i am uh uh getting a a larger and larger pet peeve about uh male focused preschool cartoons that always have the one token female character i'm like 
why can't there be equal amount of female monster trucks as there are male monster trucks? Why does there only have to be the one female monster right. truck? So that's a diatribe for another another time place. But Paw Patrol like, has that same problem, I think. Yeah, I think Paw Patrol maybe has like two. Uh, I found like bubble guppies is the best for for at least gender uh, inclusion. Uh, inclusion. Um, <laughs> We're hoping uh, to get their sponsorship for next step. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is what happens when you are a pastor with a toddler. Well, I think you, I, I think you articulated this earlier that it's it's not about the right to terminate a pregnancy. It's about our corporate responsibility for human life. And I think what you're naming right now is is that essential piece. You know, our churches are local. We are located places to organize for radical change in our communities. Mm -hmm. And if we want to be part of this kind of greater movement for bodily autonomy, if we want to be part of this greater movement for wholeness, like you're right, we don't have to go anywhere. The question is, are we using that zeal that we have about the Supreme Court nomination to motivate us to be in relationship with our neighbors, to be in relationship in our communities, to be a center of gravity that articulates the value of human life in in its fullness, not just in this one particular moment in a human life, but throughout the span of a human's life. And and really, I mean, like if we're gonna talk about, you know, we started with talking about this from sort of a political judicial point of view of the Supreme Court, uh, what's going on in the Supreme Court right now, but like if you wanna talk about like real direct impact from a political point of view, you're going to make more real direct impact by participating in your local politics than necessarily in like your state and federal politics. And I think oftentimes, you know, we think of like, what can we do? And it's like, vote, but like vote in your local elections, like just as much as you vote in like the state and the federal elections like that, that it's so important to, to be connected to your community. And honestly, I feel like if you're not connected to your community, how are you going to be connected to the wider narrative? Right. Like, how are you going to be able to really understand? Like, we obviously can't stay within our own communal bubbles um, because communities can be very divided within themselves and Absolutely. very, like, racially segregated and economically segregated in itself. But, like, really understanding, part of understanding your community is also understanding who is not there. Right. And who is not able to be there and um, and recognizing that it is one small part to a greater picture, that we are one small part to a greater picture and and that my job is not to tell you what to do, but to love you. Yeah. And love is going to challenge me just as, as much, much as it's going to challenge you. Yeah. So I think that's a great place for us to leave it. Um, I hope that you have felt challenged and encouraged uh, by this podcast. Please like us, write us a review. It really does help us get more traction on the podcasting networks. Um, And tell your friends about it. If this is uh, edifying to you, if this is supporting your engagement of progressive theology and progressive Christianity, please, please, please invite others into the conversation with you. And to that, we will see you next time. Toodaloo!